Guess what? What, Jamie? Two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in the universe, or we are not. Both are equally terrifying. Who said that? Yes, Arthur C. Clarke. There we go, done. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts, here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Once president of the British Interplanetary Society. Matt, what's been going on? Oh, I'll tell you what's been going on. We've had a correction of a correction. This has got to be a first. <laughs> so Paul wrote in again. He was ever so pol- apologetic. Oh, it's our mate Paul. He's got something wrong from correcting us. No, we got it wrong again. Oh, for... Yeah, you know that. You know we were talking about the Canadarm. Yeah. It, 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 now I'm thinking about it. Of course, of course. I just it, it actually annoys me that I wasn't really thinking properly. But it, it never was on Mia. It was always in the sort of loading bay of the space shuttle. Right. That's where it lived. Oh. So it was going up and down and up and down. So neither did Chris Hadfield take it up for the first time or or take it down anywhere. It was just always on the shuttle. Chris was just the first Canadian to drive the thing. Blimey, a moment of great pride for Canucks, is what uh, Paul Fjell says. Norwegian derivation, is yeah. name. Yeah, yeah, he said Norwegian. So, my, yeah, well, yeah. actually, Paul, guess what? My roots are, um, I am a quarter Irish, a quarter mm-hmm. English, and the rest is Scandinavian. So, Wow. Yeah. Um, I think Paul Fiel has been hiding his light under a bushel as well. I, I, I typed in his name to try and find a pronunciation. Yeah. And, it, and, and uh, the mission patch for STS-100, guess, guess who designed that? It's not Paul. <laughs> it certainly Come is. Come on. <laughs> I keep saying, you know, yeah. we've got to get this guy on yeah. the show. Paul, if you're listening, I think we should get you on the show. Yeah, well, he he came back with his correction, correction, pretty much on the day of release. So, well, an, I mean, an, av- you know, an avid passed, listener, I like he passed it. the test again. It was a double test. Double test. You know? We were testing you, Paul. Come hey, on. Matt. Hey, Matt. What do you know about Sputnik? What do I know? Do you know what I know? Tell me what you know. I know that there's another Arthur C. Clarke quote about Sputnik. Go on. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. He goes like this. I was in Barcelona for the 8th International Astronautical Congress, which will go, will go on to the 68th in a, in a, in a minute, by the way. Uh, <laughs> just we just had all... swapping back into Brummie yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. Well, we'll go into the 68th later. We had already <laughs> retired to our hotel rooms after a busy day of presentations by the time the news broke. One delegate, noticing that there were 23 American and five Soviet papers at the Congress, remarked that while the Americans talked a lot about spaceflight, the Russians just went ahead and did it. Wow, that's so that's cool. cool. That was Arthur C. Clarke talking in Spectrum on the 50th anniversary of, the, uh, of Sputnik. Such a go. dude. So 60th yeah, anniversary. 60th anniversary on, on the 4th of October, which is the day before my mum's birthday. Start of the space race. 60 years ago. So what are we going to do on the, on, the, on the 4th? Well, I guess we're going to have a little party, Jamie, because that, it's the start of the space race. It's the start of the space race. Imagine the kind of geeks we would get at a Sputnik 60th anniversary party. I mean, 
I know that some of our listeners would probably quite like to go, but I'm just saying. I think it's quite a stylish thing as well, Sputnik. I, I genuinely think that it influenced furniture design and all sorts of things, didn't it? It did. And I love, I love that thing that, that the phrase beatnik comes from Sputnik. Really? I never knew that. It was Herb Kane coined the term beatnik in his article about the beat generation. Well, I quite like the beat generation, Matt, because they're kooky. They don't go by the rules. And I Mm -hmm. think that their parents didn't understand them either. I mean, you could say that Sputnik, not only did it start the space race, but it started popular culture. You, there Holy you I said moly. it. I said it, Jamie. I said it. So, yeah, 60 years ago, it's the brainchild of Sergei Korolev. Absolute ledge. And it uh, launched from Tiaratum, which is now known as Bakunor Cosmodrome, which, of mm. course, is pretty much the most famous cos. Do you know what? Actually, I've got to say this. I was, I've been watching Astronauts on the telly, and, and I do enjoy that programme a hell of a lot. It's brilliant. And, yeah. of course, it's, it was sad not to see Jackie and all of them. Of course. But uh, but um, this this week it was annoying me because they were Kennedy Space Center and they kept saying and it's the home of human spaceflight and I was thinking God I wonder wonder what the Russians have to say about that being no one's flown from America for ages hmm. and the first people to fly into space were from Russia so so it's not really the home of human spaceflight is it I mean I know a yeah. lot of people went from there but. But come on. They, and they said it not once, but loads of times. It's come like, on. Just stop. You know what I mean? And when, that, and, and when they were showing st- uh, shots of the night sky, you know that thing where you see, like, the Milky Way in all its glory yeah. in, in those kind of transition cuts? They kept showing the Southern Hemisphere that was annoying me as, a little bit as well. And also, and also, all those naughty astronaut candidates that are out there watching, yeah, you need to listen to this podcast because some of the questions that were being asked in your interview, you should have easily have answered. And I was a Brit, I was almost shouting at the but screen. Matt, this is why we need to do TV because God yeah, knows we yeah. don't make mistakes, and you can ask Paul that. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. So I'm, I'm assuming we're both going on astronauts in the next season, seeing oh, if we can I, get through. I would be really surprised if they don't just send us straight up. They'll probably <laughs> they'll probably just give me a, a couple of questions and and then they'll be like, "Look, can we fast track this guy? What, what, what's that, thing you, what's that thing you get in tennis? You get that you get a you, you get a buy, don't you? Is that you, what you is? get a buy? But I think that that's what I would get. You know? Yeah, a, yeah. Um, anyway, we, we're back back to uh, back to Sputnik. Make, making me digress. Yeah, I I digressed quite a bit there. So um, originally they were making this thing called Object D, Object D, yes, which was um, a, a really extraordinary looking cone like thing that could mm. do lots of experiments: uh, solar wind, magnetic field, cosmic rays. But when they built the R seven engines, it turned out that they weren't quite powerful enough to launch this heavy object D. And then they started getting really panicked and going, "Oh no, the Americans are going to beat us into space!" So they quickly came up with Object PS or Sputnik, PS. as we know it. Yeah, Object PS. Do you know what Sputnik means? Um, isn't it something that is a traveller traveling with a traveller? Yeah, it's the companion of a traveller. So the Earth is travelling round the sun and then it had a little companion, Sputnik. It's good, isn't it? That's very It's very cute, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, sweet. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So Sputnik, which were the object PS, on 22nd September, the R7 rocket was being assembled 
And uh, that rocket, it was a modified R7, and it was called Sputnik as well, 8K71PS. Mm. Uh, and then it launched, and then they waited 90 minutes before Korolev phoned up Nikita Khrushchev to say, we've done it. You've done it. Imagine getting that. Imagine how Um, excited you'd be. It has to be said. It's an amazing achievement. What's really weird is apparently the Russians didn't really celebrate it that much. In in some of the newspapers, it sort of made like a column here or there. And it was only when they realised the reaction of America and the West that they thought, hang on a second, we've scored a massive coup here. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is extraordinary, isn't it? So there was loads of satellite stations on the in in the Soviet Matt, Union. Do you know where? Course, sorry it. to interrupt, but do you know where else yeah. has a massive coup? <laughs> Go on, Trafalgar Square. Oh, because of the pigeons. Yeah, do you like that? Oh, I do quite like it. It's pretty good, isn't it? It's actually awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be a bit of tape on the cutting room floor. Edit the hell out of it. <laughs> so. God, we, we have been digressing like hell. If this was going to be a short podcast, we, we have we really much. <laughs> Let's hurry up, quick. <laughs> so the booster rocket uh, was tracked by the Lovell Telescope from the Jodrell Bank Observatory in this country, and Canada's Newbrook Observatory managed to photograph Sputnik itself streaking across the sky. And although it was, you know, highly polished silver, uh, it was... Uh, uh, well, silver in colour, that is. Um, hmm. it, it it wasn't really that bright, and most people seeing it were probably seeing the uh, booster rocket that it had flown up on. I wonder what people thought when they saw it and didn't know what was happening. I mean, they must have thought no. it was a UFO. No, because you'd really have to look very hard to see it. It's not like the ISS, which is, like, really, really bright. And bearing in mind, actually, Sputnik was flying twice. No, I mean, like, locals. Oh, yeah, I mean, the locals. But, yeah, the but locals who didn't been know, you know, if you're just a farmer... <laughs> oh, yeah, know, and this massive R7 rocket this... goes up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, those rockets have been going up quite a lot, I'd imagine, when they were testing them and doing, you know, because it... They were using them as intercontinental. Yeah, but that, that this farmer was in a coma and then he came out of a coma. <laughs> Jamie, then... Jamie, this is digression to the max. <laughs> this is a digression uh, lesson. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a lesson in digression. <laughs> That's a rap song if ever there was one. Can you Don't talk about rap or I'll talk about that rapper Bob. Oh yeah, we've got to go on to Bob. We're gonna have Bob in the news for sure. Well, I'm gonna uh, invite him on. Oh yes. Oh yes, that's a quite a good idea, actually. So the sphere, anyway, it's nowhere near as big as ISS, flying Mm. twice as high. Mm. It's only 58 centimetres in diameter, but it weighs quite a lot, 84 bags of sugar, and I think that's pretty pretty heavy. But 60% of that mass is the silver-zinc batteries, and there was only one watt of power. So do you want to hear what it sounds like? Do you want to hear what it sounds like? Here it is. (laughs) Actually, that's not what it sounded like. Here it is. Here's the actual sound. Ready? There you go. So analysis of those little radio bleeps could tell you all about the density of the ionosphere and the temperature and pressure. So that's cool, isn't it? So there there was proper science going on. And uh, you could probably have done that science if you were a little radio ham. How cool is that? Really cool. so do you know how fast it was travelling? Uh, no, tell me. 
18,000 miles an hour. That's quick. It was going around the Earth every 98 minutes and flying over the USA seven times a day. Jeez. Yeah, yeah that's cool amazing. Was that? So cool. So, so in total, it went around 1,440 times and then uh, burnt up in the atmosphere on, in January 1958. Did any the, of it get back into the... Oh, do you know what? Um, I mean, is there anything in a museum? Yeah, so one man uh, in Encino, California. Is it Encino or Encino? I I, I I don't know. know. Encino in California. Woke up in the morning and noticed something glowing in his backyard. So he went out and it was a a piece of... No. Yeah. It it may have been a fox. (laughs) 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 And it proved to be a bit of plastic tubing of the type used on Sputnik. But no one's been able to prove whether this is a fact. So I'd love um, that to be confirmed. Does plastic tubing glow? I mean, that's the bit that that gets me in that story. It just seems weird. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it it does seem likely that it did break up over that part of the USA. Right. So maybe maybe Busey will uh, find a little piece. I think we need to speak to our mate Busey and find out. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he has. Maybe he's found a little piece of Sputnik. If if, if I know Busey, it'll be two of the aerials, and then he'll do a little paradiddle on some. <laughs> well, he something. is a powerhouse drummer. As the uh, drummer. was it the enemy or the Quran called him? I'm Probably. sure he'll tell us. Yeah, he'll phone it. Maybe we'll get a correction on it. I can't believe I called it the Quran. What a granddad! So there was a thing called the International Geophysical Year, which was yeah. Um, yeah. The oh. International Geophysical Year, or Year, as year. you say. Year. <laughs> it just doesn't sound right, Jamie. I don't You're like it. Well, well, it is. <laughs> so the... Uh, and this was something that a bloke called Lloyd Berkner had decided to do, and it was to coincide with the solar cycle. So the 11-year hmm. cycle of sunspot activity and a high point in that. But it was to try and get the East and West to uh, cooperate again in science. And uh, so they announced this geophysical year, 1957 to 1958. And, um, and both Russia and America said that they were going to try and do this satellite launch in that year. So it shouldn't be that big a surprise that they did. So, but you could imagine, in America, they were so embarrassed by this launch, like properly embarrassed. Yeah, I bet. And then they thought, well, don't worry, we've got our Vanguard TV3 rocket going up soon. Yeah, so we're just going to put on. someone on the moon. We, 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 no, well, they tried to get a satellite up, and, and the very first time they tried to get a satellite up really quickly in December, uh, it blew up on the launch pad. And Ouch. this is my this is my favourite bit of the Sputnik story. So the Soviet delegation to the United Nations then uh, announced that they, they would help their US counterparts uh, with technical assistance under the Soviet programme for underdeveloped countries. <laughs> 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 that's incredible which, yeah underdeveloped which, which is, yeah so oh, uh, dear. and and of course just to rub salt in the runes russia encouraged everyone to listen out for sputnik signal on their ham radio sets and look out for sputnik in the night sky so you know this was enormous news around the world and russia were reveling in it once they realized that they they'd got this huge coup that was bigger than the coup of trafalgar square yeah of course and shortly after, they, they launched another Sputnik to, uh, for the anniversary of the October Revolution, which, of course, we're coming up to as well. That's, that's going to be a big mm. one, isn't it? The 7th really of November. Is. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, it's, it's a big, big one. So That's two parties. To, 
Yeah, so that's a that's the hundredth anniversary of the Russian Revolution coming up soon. So, um, due to the humiliation that the United Sta- States went under, they actually had the greatest kind of push and boost to their school system ever. So this is this is a, a person called Shirley Malcolm, and this was an interview I saw in the New York Times. Mm. They were just a student at the time. They said, we stopped having throwaway science and started having real science. Sputnik kind of crossed the barrier. All of a sudden, everybody was talking about it, and science was about the fold in the newspaper, and my teachers went to institutes and really got us all engaged. It was just a time of incredible intensity and intention to science. That's a great quote, but it, I was distracted because you sounded like the um, creepy old granddad from um, Family Guy. How did you I? Know, but the, you know, hope, you hope you don't find that his, money strapped to my thighs. Yeah, very weird. Please don't his, do that again. His name was Shirley Malcolms. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, but I thought... but. It's interesting, isn't it, that? And I think, wouldn't that be amazing if something like that happened to America again or, or you know, or just the, the Western world and we were forced to, to, to love science as again in that way and go, right, science is the saviour, yeah. I yeah. really want that to happen. <clears throat> well, it's, it's not going to happen at the moment with the, uh, the government that the states have. Well, um, no, but but main, but main, but maybe it would maybe really if something believe in science. Yeah, but maybe something will happen that will make Trump go. We've got to do this. I mean, what what happens if you know China or someone like that invent something like quantum computing? Say, say like China get really ahead in quantum computing. It's like, oh my god, this is embarrassing. So maybe yeah, you know, I mean, that's the like... only way that it will push forward, which is him being competitive. However, yeah. it's. Yeah, uh, I don't want to get too political about it. No, you'll just so start any- me on a rant, Matt. No, basically what I want to say is he's a. No. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, that gives me the opportunity to use my beep again. Exactly. A- anyway, it led to the creation of the Advanced Research Project Agency, or ARPA, which then yeah. became DARPA uh-huh. in 1972. The D- D for defense, of course. And then, of course, at the same time, they created NASA, which came out of the old NACA. And that's where the expression to be a bit of a NACA comes from. I I thought that was an old horse. So, um, (laughs) yeah, there's a couple of duplicates. So there's one that was, there was two that were definitely made up as as backups. One that's in the Energia Museum, which yeah. is on the in the Moscow suburbs, and but I think you can only look at that by appointment only. And there's another one in the Seattle Museum of Flight, which was donated by an anonymous buyer in 2001, but it's had all its internal components removed. But they were certainly oh. there at one point. And there's dozens of replicas that have been made uh, since then, one of which, of course, is famously in the London Science Museum, which I'm sure you've seen. Yeah, absolutely. We saw it together. Thanks for remembering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, we've, we've seen. Haven't we seen it twice together, or just the once? Yeah, I think so. Was that the yeah. time where you, where I no, tried to once. hold hands and you knocked it away? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So keeping it professional. Yeah, exactly. There's four one-third scale Sputniks, and they were uh, sent to, to, to Mir on different rockets. They went up in in uh, three different rocket launches. Mm. But Sputnik 40 was deployed into orbit on the 40th anniversary. When I, when I say 40th anniversary, it was actually a month late. And even the launch itself up to Mir was, was a day late. Uh, so that launched on the 5th of October, 40 years later. And Sputnik right. 41 was released a year later. Wow. Uh, and, then, and then Sputnik 99 was released out of Mir in 1999. 
So that's 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 cool. Did you get a flake then, with that? Yeah, I think so. Well, right. actually, there there is a bit of a uh, commercial problem here because Sputnik mm. ninety nine um, uh, had Swatch decided to kind of sponsor it and decided oh. that they want they wanted their trademark low slogan kind of beeped out of it. But that's a flagrant misuse of amateur radio band. So after loads of protests, the uh, thing was launched without any batteries. And so it just became a passive piece of space junk. Oh, I never yeah. knew that bit of info. Unlucky yeah. Swatch. Yeah, and the Sputnik 40 backup was destroyed when Mir deorbited. And these things were built by students from Russia and France. Amateur radio satellites. Unbelievable. So, yeah, that's, that's cool, isn't it? They've all burnt up now, though. They've all fallen out of orbit and burnt up. So, well, my Sputnik, goodness. Sputnik 60 years off. of cool, of cool. Hey, Matt. Yes. You know what we should move on to? Should we move on to Astronaut of the Week? Astronaut of the Week. Play the jingle. It's time for Astronaut It's Wally. Shearer. Is it just Shearer? Yeah, it's got to be. Wally Shearer. We're going to get corrected again. Oh, no. This will be embarrassing corrected on that one, but I'm pretty certain it is. (laughs) Walter Marty Wally Shearer Jr. Absolute legend. So, Matt, where's he? He died 10 years ago. He died 10 years ago, but Mm. uh, at a a pretty ripe old age, I believe. So, uh, So, uh, am I right? So, American naval officer, aviator, aeronautical engineer, test pilot, and one of the original seven astronauts chosen for Project Mercury. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so he is he is one of the Mercury Seven. I and mean, of course dang. But, yeah. In the Mercury of course being Mercury Seven, their most famous um the most famous portrait of them is or portrayal of them is the film The Right Stuff. Mm. And he was played by Lance Henriksen, who is most famous for his uh, role as Bishop, the android in the Alien movies. But, Incredible. But my favourite role I ever saw him in was uh, Hard Target. Oh, you can't go Jean-Claude wrong. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, not was that Van Arnold Damme? That sounded yeah, like no, 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 yeah. stop it, stop it. Shh. So, yeah, 55 years ago, almost to the day, he flew the six-orbit, nine-hour Mercury Atlas 8 mission on October the 3rd, 1962. So that's why I chose him, because we're coming up to a bit of an, uh, an anniversary of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so do you want to hear some of his firsts? Give me some stats. So some of his stats. Here we go. He's the fifth American and the ninth human being ever to ride into space. Nice. Pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, in the two-man Gemini program, he achieved the first space rendezvous. Okay. Pretty cool. So that's the first time anyone kind of... They didn't actually end up docking with something because uh, that, that, that plan went uh, awry, but he ended up sort of rendezvousing with Gemini 7. It's one of my dreams, Matt. What, a space rendezvous? No, just docking with anything. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't know what to say about that. <laughs> just move on. In October 1968, he commanded Apollo 7, yeah. which, uh, which, which, which had an 11-day low-Earth orbit shakedown test of the three-man Apollo command service module. Uh-huh. And he was pretty famous on that because they, they all got a cold and he was really, really miserable. 
Oh. Like proper miserable, really narky to everyone because they were just all miserable and just trying mm. to do their job and getting really annoyed by ground oh. control. All right. Yeah, and he was the first person to go into space three times. And he's oh, the only person. This, this, this one will never be beaten. He's the only person to have flown in Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo, logging up 295 hours in space. God, that's a lot of hours. You break them down. Yep. So he, 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 was a, he was a captain in the Navy mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, uh, and then went on to become... Uh, he, he actually was consultant to CBS News for the Apollo flights and he was joined by Arthur C. Clarke and Walter Cronkite for the, uh, for the Apollo 11 mission. Oh, so those, cool. those, those were the three most famous newsreaders that were sort of reading that I might get on thing. YouTube, see if I can find that clip. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah, Wally Shearer and uh, Walter Cronkite. It's yeah, a power pretty, pretty, It's a power that, <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty out there, isn't it? Yeah. So his, uh, his dad was from Philadelphia with Sardinian roots, but he was, uh, he was actually a pilot in the Royal Canadian Air Force doing bombing missions in Germany. Uh-huh. Before, I love this. He became a barnstormer. How cool is that? You know, those people that... It's where you fly, like, uh, biplanes through as close as you can to the ground at country fairs in America. And his mum, Walter's mum, used to do the wing walking. What? Yeah. In my notes, I put wong walking. Yeah, I did read that. You probably didn't know what that Mm. was. (laughs) Sounds like some kind of weird Chinese medicine. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, he could, uh, uh, Walter himself, Wally, could fly his dad's plane at the age of 15. Oh, well, he was destined, wasn't he? Destined, wasn't he? And he, he got a Bachelor of Science in 1945 from the US Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. He married the stepdaughter of an admiral, uh, and he's got two children, Walter and Suzanne. And he got his naval wings in 1948, and he was the second pilot in history to log over a thousand hours in jet air- aircraft. That's Jeez. pretty cool, isn't it? So he flew hell's... 90 combat missions, mostly in the F-48 Thunder Jet in the Korean War, shoot, shooting down at least one MiG and damaging two others. So he's got tons and tons of medals, including several distinguished flying medals and, wow. and, and stuff like that. Um, he went on to become a test pilot, testing Sidewinder missiles, and I love this, I love this bit. He, when he was testing one of the Sidewinder missiles, it double-backed on him and started chasing his own plane. Oh, <laughs> but he was such a skillful flyer, he managed to, he managed to kind of run it down and, and get out of the way. <laughs> Bloody well. So, Good for everyone you know, he did. And obviously, with those credentials, he was whittled down from 110 other test pilots to make it to the Mercury 7. Nice. And uh, his kind of responsibility was life support and the pressurised suits. And I have to say, the pressurised suits of the Mercury programme have to be the coolest ones, the, the silver oh, ones. For sure. For sure, even cooler than Elon Musk's. Wow! So, yeah, yeah I think cool. so. They are—they're just goddamn cool. Um, he met President Kennedy with his family um, on the day that JFK found about out about the Russians putting missiles in Cuba. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So Kennedy was probably a bit, uh, um, a bit distracted. Yeah, just so, a touch. Uh, uh, Gemini Seven, by the way, was Borman and Lovell, and that—that's when he when he flew up on Gemini Six, 
it was Borman and Lovell who sort of did a bit of station keeping in Gemini 7 for uh, Wally to, to pilot the Gemini 6A to do the space rendezvous. Ah, yes. Yes. And this, this, this should be your famous, your favourite one, Jamie, because on, this ties, ties very much in with your job. So um, <laughs> Wally played Jingle Bells on a harmonica that he'd smuggled into the Gemini craft. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and so Hona found out about this, and uh, this, uh, and and obviously just went on a massive advertising spree with Wally Shearer helping them. And the slogan on all the posters was "Buy a Hona harmonica, and three billion people might just look up to you." <laughs> <laughs> Which you got to admit, oh, Jamie, that, that is that's a perfect bit of. Uh, Music instrument branding right there. You know, it really is. What I'd give for something like that. I can only hope. That's <laughs> well, amazing. We just, yeah, yeah. We just, need, we just need an astronaut to go up with a few boss pedals. I wonder if I can give Tim Peake um, maybe the latest TR-08 drum machine to take yeah. up and, you know, get some beats in space. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, he could be the first guy to you know lay down some cowbell in uh in orbit yeah, yeah big time all right so then he flew up on apollo he wasn't supposed to be the first person to go up in apollo but he was because mm. um of course the original crew died in the fire of apollo one the tragic fire yes killed gus grissom etc so mm. um uh when apollo was going up while uh, he walked around and made sure that everything was proper you know proper right he would go in and some people and so he was i think he was a bit of a kind of badass when it came to going round and making sure everything was right and Mm. he was absolutely adamant this uh, person called genter vent was was the pad leader he'd got so much trust in this guy that he just Mm. basically pulled all the strings he could with dick slayton etc etc to make sure that this bloke was the person that was the pad leader for Apollo. And and they got him in, and uh, he stayed the pod leader all the way through Apollo, Skylab, and into the shuttle era before retiring. So That's awesome. He was obviously the perfect man for the job. Totally. Uh, and uh, while he was on Apollo, he got an Emmy for the first live television pictures publicly broadcast from inside a manned spacecraft. Nice. So he's got an Emmy. He's got an Emmy amongst Love all that. this stuff as well. Oh, blimey. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty crazy, and and um, when he got back, because of how famous this head cold had made made him, um, yeah. uh, and it turned out this combination of pseudoephedrine decongestant and tripolidamine antihistamine that the, the, the flight surgeon had given him for this head cold, yeah, uh, uh, later became known as Actifed. And uh, Shearer was the kind of um, face of Actived TV commercials. <laughs> <laughs> so, of all the endorsements he could have got, that was the one. On yeah, the well, he, he got Honer and Actifed. That's not bad, is it? <laughs> it's not bad combo. It's a good so Friday he, night yeah, in my house. Yeah, he he was he was pretty um, he was pretty spiky, I think, old Wally. But uh, up certainly up for a laugh. Because I, I noticed on his website that's mm. still there, you can go to wallyshearer.com, and, and he, he, there's two things that he mentioned. That's Gotchas and the Legend of the Turtle. So the Gotchas, I think, is just wow. him playing pranks on his fellow uh, fellow kind of astronauts and, uh-huh. and, and fellow friends. But this Legend of the Turtle is, is, like, really weird, where I think the Legend of the Turtle is people that are prepared to stick their neck out for things. Right. So if you're that kind of person, you get... You get um, allowed into this club, which is kind of like exclusive club. 
And um, one of the things that you've got to do is repeat your uh, password if someone asks you the question, by the way, are you a turtle? And this happened to him twice, once uh, from ground control when he was live on air in Apollo and he had to kind of switch off the mic so he could answer. (laughs) (laughs) And once by John F. Kennedy, who obviously did it as well. And And the answer is, you bet your sweet ass I am. So that oh wow, <laughs> so that so he had to say that to JFK. You bet your sweet ass I am. So that's yeah, incredible. that's that's a weird one. The legend of the turtle. Wow, I've Is never that, heard of it? that. Can we start using that, Matt? Yeah, I think I think so. I'm going to try and join the legend of the turtle. Hey, Matt. By the way, yes. are you a turtle? You bet your sweet ass I am. Good. Good. Yeah. Thought I caught you off guard then, but no, no way. It was obviously no that way. fresh in your memory. <laughs> but anyway, I don't. I think it's like it's a password that's given to you at your inauguration. So I think they've all got different ones. Well, goddamn. Let's let's take our hats off to lovely Wally Shearer. Yeah, I mean he, that is one hell of a guy. What a guy! Just to, to show you what kind of a guy he was and how much respect. At his memorial after he died of uh, he died of a heart attack. Uh, uh, while undergoing treatment for cancer. But in his memorial, uh, they they had a three-volley salute, a flyover by three FA-18s, and his ashes were committed to the sea aboard the Nimitz-class aircraft, the USS Ronald Reagan. Amazing. So he's a big deal. A big absolutely, deal. Absolutely, absolutely uh, big deal. And I deal. think his books look really interesting. Shearer's Space... And he did one on aviation. He did a book about uh-huh. the Mercury 7. And the famous book, In the Shadow of the Moon, he he wrote a lot of that. And that's the last book with his thoughts in it. You're going to give me a quote, aren't you? Yeah, so I, I saw a quote on his website. It goes like this. I realise that planet Earth is unique. No, we can't do it in that kind of accent. We can't. Can we? No, we're going to go with... I realize that the planet Earth is unique, at least in our solar system. We know that. It's odd that people try to talk about going to some other planet like Earth, and they have no respect whatsoever for the contemplation of traveling to these places. We went to the moon. It took us about three days at the speed we went to go to the sun. I keep kidding about it. At the speed of light, it takes eight minutes, but you have to go there at night. <laughs> oh wow what a ledge yeah yeah good work brilliant. wally so jamie tell me what's it what's been in the news what been well, in the news well there's been a hurricane which is horrible yeah big hurricane horrible. maria which pulverized puerto rico well um, puerto, which... hang a second isn't puerto rico the home of the arecibo observatory it is Oh man, you, you know really what Arecibo's is. famous for, don't you? It's it's in it's in a it's in a couple of Bond movies. I believe Bond has a fight in it in um in the one where uh, Grace right. Jones is in it. And yeah. uh, and it's that also was Licensed to Kill, wasn't it? Was it Licensed to Kill? Pretty no. sure. No. No, no, no. It was a oh. it was definitely a Roger Moore one. It's the oh. View to a Kill. Oh, View to a Kill. There we go. And uh, it's also in Contact as well. It's where Jodie Foster is working. That's where Duran Duran did the. They did the song, didn't they? What? Where to? With a view to. Yeah, so Dur- yeah, yeah, Duran Duran did yeah. the song for that one. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were somehow thinking it was Rio. Nah. <laughs> so Matt, they tweeted, "We suffered some damages, but uh, nothing that can't be repaired or replaced." Uh, more updates to follow in the coming days as we complete our detailed inspections, which is great news. 
Yeah, so, that, so so I think there has been some damage, some wire that goes over the top that's been there all the time. But Could have been a lot uh, less. Uh, and it's fallen down and, and smashed a bit of the dish. But yeah, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. So I was actually following Nadia Drake's tweets about it because her dad, the famous Frank Drake, yeah, um, uh, used to work there. And of course, he came up with the Drake equation. How cool is that? So uh, Nadia Drake, I, I really like her tweets and I really like her blog on National Geographic. It's brilliant. Um, follow her. That, yeah, yeah, total follower. Um, right. So, what else was? What else has been happening? Well, there was a statistic, Matt. You ready for this? Yeah, statistic. Eighty-eight percent of American adults viewed the August total solar eclipse directly or electronically. That's amazing. This 88%. audience of two hundred and fifteen million adults is nearly twice the size of the viewership. Of the recent Super Bowl football games. That's pretty, wow, that's pretty what cool, a stat. isn't it? Yeah, that is pretty cool. So, you know, just for that moment, 88% of Americans. What the, what the heck were the other 12% doing? I, I don't know, know what were they spoke, doing. Well, maybe some of them were in hospital or bedridden. Or maybe some yeah. of them had night jobs. Oh, you've got to feel sorry for yeah. the 12% that didn't. Because yeah. they probably all had very good reasons why they didn't. Now here's That's an exci- here's a really exciting one for for Britain is that DARPA have uh, put out a contract for reaction engines uh, of uh, of Skylon fame and uh, uh, to uh, uh, part of their um, technology for um, cooling uh, their sort of super cooling uh, technology for the Sabre engine. So DARPA are uh, starting to put some money into reaction engines. So the, the, so there's a bit of momentum there for, for good old reaction engines and Skylon. Good yeah, work. Yeah. Excellent. Now, I'm going to leave you with this last item of news, Jamie. Yeah, it's, it's, you've got to laugh or you'll cry. <laughs> um, so Flat Earther, rapper yeah. B.O.B., yeah. real name Bobby Ray Simmons Jr. wants to launch a satellite to gather some crucial evidence about the Earth's shape himself. Yeah, I mean, with only the 60- aid of one million dollars, <laughs> which he's trying to raise via the crowdfunding site GoFundMe. I mean, he's only sixty years late, isn't he? I mean, <sighs> does he doesn't realise that people have already yeah, like, there's launched one or quite two satellites, satellites yeah. that have already happened. But maybe he thinks that they're all fake news. It's all and fake he wants news. To, Jamie. He wants to he wants mm. to launch his own. I tell you what, I'd like to launch something. Yeah. Um I'd like to launch a website called Go. F- you <laughs> and that's just directed to, and basically everyone can donate. And yeah. it it basically just means that the rapper B.O.B. You're giving him the oxygen of publicity there, Jamie. The oxygen of publicity. Yeah, that's true. Well, listen, I mean, fair play to him. I, I You know, people are allowed their own opinions, even if they are mental. So the, I, I have to say there's a load of space news this week, Jamie, mainly because the Australian, well, the 68th, International Astronautical Congress, which we spoke yeah. about earlier on, the 68th IAC. Uh-huh. And it was the eighth one that Arthur C. Clarke uh, heard the news of Sputnik. So 60 years later, surprise, surprise, 68th mm. IAC is happening in Australia right right now. And um, and I should imagine by the time that readers, uh, readers listeners hear this, mm-hmm. that Elon Musk will have given his presentation about the latest in his Mars Yes, plans. I was very now, excited. We could, I reckon we could spend a lot of time here trying to guess what he's going to do, but I'm not going to. 
No, let's just no, wait. No, no, no. I mean, all I know is in about five years' time, this plan will have been watered down to him uh, taking an electric bus out into the desert with a couple of his mates to go in a solar-powered house for a weekend. Yeah. I, I think I think that's what it's going to end up being. And you know what? I'd be totally happy with that. What a lovely weekend. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So the Australia announced the Australian Space Agency. Yeah, good on them. But a really, a really important well done, one was Cobbers. Russia and the United States have agreed on Wednesday to cooperate on a NASA-led project to build the Deep Space Gateway. Nice. Or, you know, to help start building the Deep Space Gateway. So, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's pr- that's pretty cool, isn't it? And they, cool. they've said that they've already sort of uh, started working on standards for the docking units of the future station. And uh, just as a little side thing, the Canadian Space Agency are considering solar sails for the Deep Space gate- Gateway as a sort of experiment to demonstrate the full potential of solar sails. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, here's another bit of news. There's a stamp yeah. coming out to commemorate uh, the 50th anniversary of the 50th anniversary of Australia launching a satellite, pretty much 10 years after the first satellite, the WRESat. Now, oh, yeah. what's really weird about that is it does make Australia the seventh nation to have an Earth satellite launched, but it doesn't make it onto the list of nations that manage to launch a satellite using its own rocket. So Australia used basically a Redstone rocket that the Americans mm. had left there for them. So, uh, But they do beat Britain by quite a long way there, or the United Kingdom. So the first was, was Sputnik 1, then Americans Explorer 1, then France with Asterix, then Japan with Usumi. Now, I love, I just love the name of China's. The Dong Fang Hong, yeah, <laughs> that launched on good. Long March One, and that is, is good, and that means East is red. Yeah, there we go. And also uh, good. In at number six, United Kingdom with Prospero and the Black Arrow, the one and only space launch by United Kingdom. I love the way you're reading it, like the top ten singles charts. Did 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 did. In at seven, India. In at seven. In at eight, Israel. There we go. I think we should finish on a space fact. And being that Arthur C. Clarke has been popping up a lot in uh, today's episode, I want to finish on this space fact, Jamie. Go on, then. And it is this, that Werner von Braun used Arthur C. Clarke's book, The Exploration of Space, to convince President Kennedy that it was possible to go to the moon. Dang. That's an actual fact. So we start off tipping the cap to Arthur C and we're going to end it. Yeah, so Arthur C Clarke has he's, had a lot of influence. Yeah, he really did. It was uh he you know, his influence on satellites full stop has been pretty phenomenal. Well, yep. I don't know what to say, Matt. The Interplanetary Podcast. Putting the ace back. back. Into space. Space. <laughs> ah, so I just want to encourage people to go on to uh, iTunes 
and yeah. love this show. Just love it. Just show us some love. Give us some five star ratings. Maybe write, write a little review. We on genuinely, show genuinely love it. We love, love that. Gen- genuinely, if you could just take one minute to do that, that would be just so kind of I'll you. I tell you what, Matt. If they take one minute to do it, mm-hmm. we'll do another podcast next I'll week. I tell you, no. I I tell you what. Oh, that well, I think that if we get a lot of them. I'm yeah. going to choose the best one, and then I'm going to announce them. And then, then if they can email, I'll send them an interplanetary mug. You've got an interplanetary mug, oh, interplanetary podcast my, mug. I have. How I'm one it? of I'm one of two people in the world, yeah, who has an interplanetary podcast mug. I have it proudly on my desk. It's the best mug ever. It's incredible. So go out there. For your chance to win an interplanetary podcast mug. Can't tell you what. I can almost see the smoking laptops now. We got one more podcast next week, and then yeah. we go to. All right, we go to Amsterdam. Yeah, but we've we've spoken about that, haven't we? Yeah, we've spoken about Amsterdam. We're just gonna go to Amsterdam, dudes. What we're gonna do <laughs> is we're gonna get some great space interviews in another country. It's the first official overseas road trip of the interplanetary yes, it's podcast. It's gonna be absolutely epic. And we're going to do, as you say, interview some people. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. All right, well, we'll see you next week. Excellent. Thank you, Space Cats. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.